Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than when Contrader in the Waves actually won Eurovision. Mm. My name's Ash Rose, your host, your guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast. And we're dipping in to a bit of my 90s today. So we'll get to that in just due course. Before I do, though, let me introduce... Obviously, my partner in crime here on Alive and Kicking is the landlord of the football tavern, Mr. Ed Chambers. Ed, how are you doing, sir? I am very well, Ashley. Um, it is an absolutely baking hot day today. Well, you, yeah, you're um, just telling me about your posh loft conversion that's very yeah. hot. So. <laughs> so, yeah, I am in the uh, in the office in inverted commas, which is a um, it is a loft conversion. But the problem is, is being a loft conversion is that you're a long way from the ground and it's yeah. still bloody hot. Heat rises, kids. You've learned that yes. in your uh, yeah, your exactly. I mean, I I was too busy sort of learning about nineteen nineties football at school yeah. to be learning stuff like that. So um, that's probably why I didn't realize. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I, I'm the same as well. I've got an office that's not on the top floor, but it is in the garden and it has no um, insulation because it used to be some sort of outhouse. So yeah, um, but this is very boring audio. That yeah. <laughs> how you do. How what have you been taking in in the last week? Uh, what, what's been well, what's been on your brain? What have I been taking in? A few things actually. I suppose um, watch the cup final on yeah. um, Saturday. Is it still I going? Thought, yeah. Well, I thought I thought Jermaine Genus is. Uh, I think Jermaine Genus said a line about it, which was good. That he said it was the game. It, the game had had everything, everything but a goal. Jermaine, actual obviously. thing. Right. Yeah. While we're on that point, and this isn't nineties whatsoever, and I know you've raised this on the tavern before. Who yeah. is Jermaine Genus's agent? And and why is he not the agent for everyone? Because every time I turn on my telly, yeah. I see Jermaine, and I've got no. I don't think I've got. I'm kind of vanilla to Jermaine Genius. I don't think he's yeah. really brilliant. I don't think yeah. he's terrible. I'm kind yeah. of in the middle. But I turned on what was it on for some the end of last week the games because yeah. I was flicking through the channels and uh-huh. uh, my I, I'm quite friendly with Kevin Clifton due to some wrestling links and I was seeing what he was doing and I saw Jermaine Genius turn up on that. He yeah. was on Match of the Day 2 on Sunday night. And then he was co-coms on the BBC coverage of the Cup final. I exactly, mean, Exactly. He's, every, he's everywhere. I've just got this feeling that I'm going to open my front door to an yeah. Amazon delivery driver one day. <laughs> and it's going to be Jermaine Dingus. And it's, you know, it's, um, he's going to be delivering my parcel. But yeah, he's As, as someone put it on Twitter, he was on the World Cup draw as well, wasn't he? I exactly, mean, yeah. So he's, he, has been, he has been everywhere. But the, yeah, the game itself, I mean, I think, I think it's interesting that, that Liverpool have I mean, I find it amazing actually that Liverpool have won two domestic trophies without scoring a goal. Yeah, obviously they're better at penalties than Chelsea, which is why they've ended up with the two. You know, why they've I mean, in theory, ended up with two trophies. But imagine if they then go to Paris in the Champions League final, it's nil nil, and they win on penalties. I mean, that, mm. that would be. Imagine the odds on that. Well, that I think I heard today that they've they've like won seven out of eight cup finals on pen like they've they very rarely have lost yeah. penalties in general yeah. but in cup finals their records is yeah. that's why everyone's calling what was it the mentality monsters at the moment yeah which is which is why i'm i'm surprised that um was marnay wasn't it a miss yeah. i'm surprised marnay missed because they just liverpool just look like the germans when they they kind of yes, um, stand up for penalties they just look like they're gonna score um yeah. so yeah i watched yeah, i watched the game on saturday a few beers uh nothing nothing too heavy which meant that uh I thought I'd missed top of the pops. Oh, and then I was searching, searched it for the iPlayer and it wasn't on. It's not on till this uh, till this Saturday. So top of the pops ninety eight will have to wait, of course, yeah. which was uh, replaced by the wonder that is Eurovision. Yeah, well I assume because BBC One was showing Eurovision, they yeah. thought that it might be overkill to have two music yeah. inspired programmes back to back. Um yeah. so yeah. 
um, um, it was the first time actually during nearly every year of Eurovision I always tweet or Instagram post on, on my own account not on the AK90s um, the cover to I think it's 95 1995's Eurovision Song Contest I should have checked right. that but it's Love City Groove Love City which Groove. is like the, my favourite the best yeah. most underrated Eurovision Song Contest song of all time um, rap, if you've never heard it it's like a rap r&b in the morning it's yeah. a tune um but and i didn't do it this weekend because i was i was at a quiz night on saturday night actually um I, think, um I think love city groove is my only real memory right of eurovision i remember it in 95 because i remember it i remember sort of being interested in it because i like the tune yeah. and then i think i watched the show and i don't think i've ever seen it since because <laughs> Like for anybody that was listening last week, um, I obviously I made my feelings on Hanson quite clear, and um, I think uh, Eurovision is in that sort of bin as well. It can get in the bin. Um, I'm, a bit, I'm not overly bothered. Yeah, there. I'm same with Genus. I'm a bit vanilla with it. I don't really yeah. like if it was if there was literally nothing on. I don't mind yeah. it just being on in the background, um, but I don't hate it either. I think it's got its place. Um, the night I, I'm trying to think what else will I remember. Oh. I'll tell you what you will remember from the nineties that it was Eurovision. Who yeah. are just a little bit? Oh yeah, was that was that a Eurovision? Song? Yeah, Gina G. You know, I remember. I remember the song. If you'd have said to me that was Eurovision, I think yep. I would have. I think I would have struggled with that. Yeah, um, that was definitely oh, a Eurovision song. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, do, yeah. I do remember that. But um, I did ninety-four. Ninety four. I want to say that was yeah. no. That was. Yeah. I think I was. Ninety six. Maybe it was not. Yeah, ninety six. Yeah, it was on the it was on the ninety six show, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, that's why, I re- that's why. That's why. But I don't remember the Eurovision. Anyway, yeah. I I heard that somewhere that um, Australia Australia in it, which is obviously, you know, I, I, obviously something I've missed there. That Europe's obviously. Yeah, I don't know why that. that. I don't know why that. And is, yeah. um, apparently, they didn't give any points to the UK or something. They didn't um, or didn't give them enough points. And uh, I thought, well, boo you, Australians. Is that is that because we cancelled Neighbours? <laughs> maybe yeah maybe that's sort of a bit of bit of get your own back there but um ukraine obviously uh obviously won i think that was always that was always gonna happen was, yeah Te- well technically the uk won because ukraine were gonna win whatever happened so yeah. finishing second is a bit yeah. like in scotland finishing third in the premier league isn't it because yeah. rage of the Celtic are always gonna win the league so if you finish third yeah. technically you've won the other half you know the other bit of the league turning it back to football yeah. um, Katri- katrina of the waves as i mentioned in the intro that was yeah. the 90s they won Love Shine a Light, terrible song, but somehow they won as well Honestly, in the 90s. Eurovision is like cricket or Formula One to me at the moment. I don't, I don't, really, I don't really know it that well at all, to be perfectly honest no, with you. I think we'll stick to our mainstream Top of the Pops for, for next week because I think that's going to be uh, 90 hours. We, uh, we, we won't go into it because I saved that for once we've watched it yeah. because we, you know, we mentioned briefly last on the last show and yeah. we're expecting a lot of France 98 and stuff and, yeah. and, and everything there. Um, we got a good response, though, from our uh, last episode where we did our cup final 11. Thank you to everyone who posted their own versions. I think most people got the rules. Hey, people turned it into their own rules. People were yeah, doing their that. own team 11s. I mean, yeah. I tried to do a QPR connected one. And despite what we were laughing about on the show, I couldn't get 11 players. There wasn't 11 yeah. players, believe it or not, connected to QPR in those 10 cup finals. I think I got eight yeah. in the end. There was two years, definitely two, definitely two years. I couldn't. There was no player on either team. Oh, I, did, um, I did an Aston Villa one. Yeah, like, no, no reason. Why no Villa? Um, I just, I don't know why. Because um, oh, I'll tell you why. Because you said to me that you couldn't get like a Man United QPR player. 
if you know what I mean, like a connection. Yeah. yeah. And I, I thought, well, yeah, they probably haven't got many connections because of the the um, class of '92 and all that mm. sort of stuff. Mm. And then Peter Smichael pops into my head, and I thought he played for Villa, and I thought Villa <laughs> played for Villa, and it just sort of went from there. But Villa had so many like attacking players, and I ended up with like two in defence or something stupid like that. But yeah, it was a good it was a good show. It was a good show last week. We're doing um we're doing Tottenham this week, aren't we? We're doing a bit, yeah. Um we'd, we sometimes have we've done in the past, we've done a show called My Nineties. Um I think this is our fourth one we've done. We did Man United with Sam Harwood, Chelsea with Neil Barnett, and Liverpool last time out with with friend of the show, Nash uh, Sashi Nakrani. So yeah, we're going doing Tottenham today. Um yeah. and we've got a guest who they've had a good week, haven't they? They've had a good week. They had an eventful cool. 1990s, I'll tell you that. So this could yeah. be a bit of a long show because I was doing yeah. a bit of prep beforehand just to make sure I've got my notes and I don't forget glaring omissions when we quiz our guest on certain elements of Tottenham's 1990s. Yeah. But there's a lot. There's a lot yeah. that top, you know, not necessarily glorious. Like they only won two trophies, which is more in a decade than yeah. they've won in a in a, in a more subsequent de- decade. It's like an eternity, yeah. Yeah, it feels like an eternity since Alan Nielsen scored that goal in the 1999 yeah. Uh, yeah. League Cup final. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get on talking uh, about Spurs in just a second with our guest. Um, something I should say, and I always forget, I should say a little thank and a little plug to everyone who's been listening, who's been getting involved on the Twitter feed. And if you do want to get involved and you don't already, please do follow us on AK90s on Twitter. And if you really like the show, give us a rating and a review on uh, iTunes and stuff, which I'm sure the other shows say. But yeah, it does help some of the statistics and all that. I don't really understand it, but apparently it helps. So if you want to do that for us, that'll be great. I've just got a little bing in my waiting room. So that's letting our guests, while we do, listen to this offer from Football Devotion and get involved with some 90s gear. And we'll see you on the other side. Before you get stuck into the brand new episode of Alive and Kicking, I'm delighted to announce a partnership with the amazing Footy Devotion. Footy Devotion have a brilliant range of t-shirts, coasters, prints and mugs, all illustrated by the amazing team at Footy Devotion and inspired by the 1990s as well, with a special range dedicated to Italian 90. And because you listen to Alive and Kicking, the original 1990s football podcast, you can get 10% off your order. Simply use the code AK90s at the checkout and you'll get 10% off. That's AK90s, so AK90S and 10% off your order. Jobs are good at. Check out Footy Devotion on Twitter at Footy Devotion and the whole range. I've got a few myself. I've got the brilliant 3pm sweatshirt. I'm looking at a brilliant QPR print kit I've got on my wall. And there's loads and loads to choose from, from World Cups to clubs and many, many more. So check out Footy Devotion. And as always, keep it 90s. Welcome back. And this is my 90s on Alive and Kicking. And today we're in North London, a very happy North London, it has to be said right now, especially the white half after certain results in 2022. But we, we don't we don't want to talk about that. We're talking 1990s. So joining me and Ed now is writer, actor, director. He's done it all. He's done bits of everything. And we're pleasure to join him on, on this show. Theo Delaney. Theo, welcome. Thank you so much. So delighted to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you, sir. We were just talking in the preamble there about how much we enjoy your show. It's called Life Goals. Before we get into talking about Tottenham, your club, tell us about your current project, which is this podcast that you've had some amazing guests on. Tell us about it and, and what it involves. 
So life goals in a nutshell is well-known football fans choose the eight goals of their life and relive them. So we go in chronological order. They choose a goal. They they remember what they, where they were when they watched it, what it meant to them. Because, you know, goals, as we all know, are the things that are, have the most visceral and memorable yeah. effect on you if you're a football fan. And because we do them in chronological order, very often they'll choose one from childhood or, or from, you know, adolescence, and then they'll end up with one close to the present day. So it allows you also to talk about their lives. So I've had loads of amazing people on, you know, we mentioned before, Noel Gallagher's done it and Tony Cascarino. Yeah. I know you said you'd listen to that one. And people like Kelly Cates and... Uh, you know, actors like David Morrissey or politicians like uh, Alan Johnson, all sorts of a, a really wide variety of people. And I, for me, it's just an enormous pleasure doing it. I'd happily sit around talking, <laughs> talking about football to interesting people all day and all night. You know, I love it. Yeah. And Ed, you're a big fan. You put you put me onto the podcast as well. I didn't you? So it, I, I, I agree. Am, it's yeah, it's, I it's a, a very fan, simple yeah. pro- um, concept, but it works so well, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, I'm a, a big fan of it. I think there's two. I think you know Theo said there about the visual, about the goals. I think music and football have this real sort of hand in hand relationship. So no matter what your musical tastes are, and uh, some people's are very different. I'm sort of sort of sliding at you there Ash but yeah I know you at me yeah um, but you know like you know I mean but people people have like this real memory of goals but like listening to podcasts as I do on a regular occasion it goals mean different things to different people and you know it could be because you know they started work at their current job or whatever at a certain point and it reminds them of that or it was the first game they reported on or it was just something that they were in a student union bar it it, mm. it really goes from one extreme to the other depending on who Theo's talking to and it's really good and what I do like Theo is that they have to pick a goal that basically broke their hearts yeah um, they have to and have I love that yeah. I love that and you have yeah. to yeah I just think that's because if you were to listen to eight great goals that they love it's kind of like yeah okay but then that, that twist either halfway through at the end I always think that's a good obviously that's a good thing to do yeah you because got... of course that's what goes that's the whole point of it is yeah. the emotional impact and as yeah. we all know exactly. we all, it can go it works both ways and I'm glad you you mentioned the music yeah because they have to choose a, a music track to go with each goal and yeah. that really helps evoke mm. either the emotion or the time or both for yeah. them and for the listener yeah yeah, I'm just trying. I'm a, I'm a QPR fan, um, Theo. If you didn't know already, so I'm trying to think the goals that broke my heart. Yeah. I'm thi- I think the first one, I, taking it out of the '90s for for a very short time, is uh, 2003 playoff final in Cardiff, playing Cardiff. Andy Campbell scored the winner in extra time. It was going to penalties, and we were wondering how the hell we were going to get our Cardiff in the town where they normally separate during a yeah. when they're holding finals. But it was their town, so they yeah. couldn't separate it. So uh, that broke my heart. And I also Eric Cantona scored like a nineteen. Well, we always call it like hundred and sixth minute. I think it was like ninety sixth minute winner at Loftus Road to, in our relegation season that kind of that was the beginning of the end and I think we never really recovered from that so yeah. those are the goals that stand out that really kind of sucker punched yeah so but yeah that's that's yeah I don't like to dwell on those but let's not good, dwell on them yeah it's not it's a good <laughs> twist it's definitely a good twist um yeah. thought we before we talk about Tottenham Theatre, I was doing a bit of digging on obviously what your your past your especially your directing you did some like major adverts yeah. in the 90s working like some we really remember as well what what tell us tell the listeners what what you worked on and and some of the big names that were involved in in that era yeah i mean i started making i started directing ads at the beginning of the 90s and i've been directing them ever since and i got i carved out a little niche 
I mean, most uh, commercial directors have little specialisms. I, I managed to get a few specialisms, which served me well, but one of them was football. So I worked with people like Peter Schmeichel. I did a Danish bacon campaign. With Peter oh, Schmeichel. Yeah. I worked with Alan Shearer. I did uh, a pastiche of the Eric Cantona Eurostar commercial with, Eric, I remember with that, Alan yes. Shearer for McDonald's. Oh, yeah. Uh, I so it was like a Mickey take of yeah. the Eurostar. So yeah. I completely recreated it shot by shot, but it was Shearer and not Cantona. I, I also that. worked with Cantona. I did a Nike ad with Cantona, and then I made a, 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 a film with Cantona called Cantona Speaks for uh, Manchester United, where he talks for the first time about the aftermath of the famous Kung Fu kick and all of that. Uh, so I worked with, yeah, especially in the 90s, but also later, lots of uh, iconic uh, footballers, which was, you know, a massive a, a huge privilege i mean because i was such a massive football fan strange because i had to remain completely prepared i never talked to them about football or anything i just walked <laughs> before they probably thought i was i was a complete football uh know nothing because i thought i've got to remain professional yeah, if i let yeah. the mask slip i'm going to turn into a quivering fan so. <laughs> what was cancel like theo because we have this you know image of him that we've seen through our screens and, and yeah. through everything he did in the 90s but what was he like you know in that kind of circumstances where you had to direct him and stuff. Well, he was unusual in the footballer because especially in those days, now footballers are quite savvy and quite more rounded. I think. Yeah. But in those days, when you work with footballers, a lot of the time, all they wanted to do was get it over with. They didn't, <laughs> they weren't comfortable with it and they just wanted to just do it and go home. The thing about Cantona was he wanted to make it good. He was interested in making it good. So that was a great thing. That was a really, so we, I loved that. He was extremely courteous and cooperative, and cooperative because he wanted to make it good. I had to spend, for the film, I had to spend a lot of time interviewing him, which was, again, an absolute privilege. And he was great to work with. I, I really liked him. He was he was good to... Every now and then you'd say something you didn't agree with and you knew about it because his <laughs> expression would change and he would contradict. So he wasn't, he wasn't putty in your hands by any means, but he was brilliant to work with. I liked him a lot. He was enigmatic even when you felt yeah. like you're getting to know him. You weren't quite sure what was going on. <laughs> He remained enigmatic at all times. But um, yeah, I liked him a lot. We got on really well. And he liked the film, crucially. I remember when, I mean, I had to go up to Manchester when we'd done the edit and sit with him in a room with him and just a few other individuals. And it was obviously, for me, it was very nerve-wracking to show him this film. It's all about him. And he sat impassively throughout, didn't say anything. And at the end, he said, he, he looked at me, he said, I like it, it's very good. And he shook my <laughs> hand. And that was a great, that was a great thing. So wow. I liked him, yeah. Good stuff. Um, Ed, before we talk to the Tottenham and we get it from Theo, I wanted to ask you, yeah. first of all, when I say Tottenham in the 1990s, and as we already alluded to, it was a busy, busy decade for, for Tottenham. Mm -hmm. what, what first springs to, to your mind? Is it Christian Gross and a bus pass? or I'm sure we'll come on to that at some point. I think with Tottenham, I think the first thing that I think of in the 1990s is literally a roller coaster that is sort of bookended by two trophies. So you've yeah. got the... 91 Cup final and then the 99 League Cup final. But the actual decade, as I'm sure we'll go on to, was so up and down. There was court cases. There was big foreign signings. There was the famous five. There were so many, you know, different things um, to, to talk about. So I'm looking forward to getting them, getting stuck into that, especially like sort of the, the, the best goal and the best game sort of scenario. Um, I always think that's a good one to, to run through. But yeah, Spurs, I just think, Definitely a roller coaster. I mean, they came back from Italia 90 and you had Gascoigne and Lineker, mm. the sort of two heroes of that kind of glorious um, failure, you know, in a, in a way. But um, they were the two guys that everybody wanted to watch, which meant that Tottenham kind of 
was a team that everybody wanted to watch that season. I think. Yeah, yeah, they almost became like a neutral's favourite because of Gazza and Liverpool. Yeah, in yeah those to, early to, years. To, to an extent, yeah. I mean, Gascoigne was a big was a big pull, um, regardless. You know, such a talented player. So, so yeah. So I think yeah. So Tottenham, to answer your original question, um, roller coaster, definitely yeah, a roller coaster. Yeah. Well, let's get into it then, Theo. We've got, a, as we do always on My 90s, a few categories that we, we've given you to, to talk through and we'll spin off, no doubt, into certain areas of the of the decade. But I'm, I'm wondering if we've segued nicely into there because he mentioned Gaza and, we, and then the first category is best player. Does he feature in your thinking for your favourite 90s Tottenham player, Theo? Without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, uh, Gascoigne, you know, the thing about Spurs, of course, is that Spurs have won precious little in the last uh, 30 or 40. 30, well, certainly 30 years. But the Spurs have always had special players, really. Yeah. Spe- the, the list of special players you put up against any any club's special players. And Gaza was so special. He was incredible. I was so privileged because I got my first season ticket around about 88, just as he joins. And he was he was he started off brilliant and he just got better and better. And I think the best two Gascoigne seasons were the ones either side of Italia 90. Yeah. That was when he was at the peak of his powers. Cause that, cause of course at the end of that second one, he gets the injury and he's never quite the same again, mm. although he, he achieved so much afterwards as well in terms of taking your breath away. So yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very, I saw Hoddle play. I'm that old. I saw Hoddle play. <laughs> And Hoddle was a breathtaking, ex- extraordinary player. Gaza was definitely on his level for me. Um, so if I'm looking to name the the player of the 90s, Gaza's definitely in the conversation. The only reason you wouldn't name him is because he was playing in the 80s as well. That would yeah, be literally it ended quite yeah, abruptly as well in the 90s. And yeah. it ended abruptly. And of course, he, he went on and played for lots of other teams as well. So the other the other players in the in the conversation, I'll I'll I'll, I'll list the other ones on the shortlist, and I'll and I'll finish with the one that I've decided to go with. Go with yeah, go, go for it. I like I love so, a shortlist. Yeah, I've unfortunately so, so, left my um, drum roll at home. So, uh, <laughs> so Gary Mabbott's in it. Now, Gary okay. Mabbott's not, he's not a very glamorous player. He's mm. the sort of player you choose because of his inc- incredible service. I mean, in the his whole history of Tottenham Hotspur, Steve Perriman's played the most games and was therefore, you know, is, is supreme and was the greatest, in many ways, the greatest captain for that reason. Uh, and but Mabbott was the pair was was Perriman after Perriman, and yeah. Mabbott I don't think gets a, a, a some of the credit he deserves. He played a hell of a lot of games when he first started. He played in all different positions, but he ended up settling into centre half, and he was a, an absolutely excellent mm. central defender, so reliable. Mm. Always, you know, with central defenders, what it's all about is what the French call savoir faire. He knew what to do. He knew where to be. His timing was immaculate. His positioning was immaculate. He was able to boss everyone around. His commitment was total. He was a brilliant captain. He'd had that heartbreak in 87, scoring the own goal. He lifts the cup in 91 to make up for that, which was such a great, Story. So I love Mabba. He's in the he's in the conversation. He never got we, England recognition, did he? Gary Mabba. He played. He, or, I, England I don't B, know how like, many times he did play. He did yeah, play for England. The national team, yeah, but a not of many, times, not but... as many times as he should have. I mean, right. also he stuck with Spurs when he could have gone elsewhere. Man United wanted him when he was at his best in the in the early mid nineties, and I think uh, and he decided not to go. You know, mm. he's, he's Tottenham. He's staunch Tottenham to this day. During the pandemic, he was phoning up Tottenham. Yeah, fans, I saw that. Yeah, you know, to make sure they're all right and everything. He's always uh, he, he's a great man is a great Tottenham man and what people forget because of those two things are so true he was also a great player 
he just also as a really nice guy doesn't he yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah he really does he also was in a, a very 90s children's program called the yeah. queen's nose which is yeah. a very random fact about gary mabber and there's yeah. people listening now going the queen's nose i remember that it was yeah. like a citv drama a bit magical but he, he appeared randomly in an episode which i always i think we've posted that on the twitter feed before so right. yeah i didn't even know that yeah so there you go. This is and my mum had a crush on him as well which oh, right. I'm, I'm gonna reveal my, gary mabber okay. my mum's crush there you go <laughs> famous one of the one of the country's most famous diabetics let's not yes, forget that true. Yeah, yeah yeah injecting himself all the time and still still manage to anyway he gets in but he's the first sort of he's the non-glamorous member of the shortlist you've got to mention lineker you've already mentioned yeah. him and lineker because lineker was so good and lineker played his part uh in that great cup run of course where we won it in 91 but of course he was only there for a short time at the beginning of the 90s before classic lineker says you know i fancy, I fancy spending some time in japan i think i'll just go <laughs> yeah. to japan which I respect. I love all of Lineker's decisions and the way he goes about things. And fair enough. But he was excellent. It was, an, it was, a, it was a great privilege to have him because at the time, of course, he was still one of the world's great mm. strikers. And there he was turning out in the white shirts. We love that. Then you get to the final three, the medal positions. <laughs> and you're looking at... There's some shortlist. <laughs> yeah. You're looking at Sheringham. Sheringham comes yeah. in. Now, Sheringham, unlike Ian and Gazag and Lineker, he, he plays a part pretty much throughout the 90s. Obviously, he left under a cloud when he went off to Manchester United. But again, you couldn't blame him. I mean, he'd been, you know, he'd given so much to Spurs by that time. Sheringham was one of those extraordinary players who just got better and better the older he got, which doesn't make any sense. When he mm. was when he was uh, young, he was playing as probably the junior member of the Cascarino and Sheringham partnership at Millwall. At Millwall, yeah. And then he goes to Nottingham Forest and Brian Clough really really rated him and he starts scoring loads of goals for Nottingham Forest then he comes to Tottenham and Brian Clough said what but when they said to when it all fell apart for Brian Clough at Forest they said what was your mistake what what was your biggest regret and he said I sold Edward Sheringham <laughs> <That's it. laughs> well, he summed it up like that yeah. and Sheringham was you know when he turned out he looked like a quite a burly goal scoring centre forward but he just got better and better and better. In the end, he was like a superb number 10, a playmaker. A proper playmaker. Yeah, that's the word I was going to use. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, I saw him in the world. I went to the World Cup in Japan in 2002 and I saw him score what, what nearly score what would have been the greatest England goal of all time. An amazing shot from the edge of the box and mm -hmm. on the angle against Argentina, which would have made it 2-0. And he must have been 36 at that point. Yeah. I mean, he was just forget he was still going for England at that point. Yeah. Incredible. So he gets player. in, he gets into the conversation. Now we're down to the last two. <laughs> Ginola. Yeah, I was wondering where he was coming. Yeah. Ginola was a genius. I mean, he was one of those players, and they come along seldom. I, I mean, I, uh, one of those players that in his pomp, after, after France won the World Cup in 1998, Ginola promptly won the PFA Football mm. of the Year and the Football Writers Player of the Year. Alec Ferguson was so bitter about it because they'd won the treble <laughs> yeah. and they couldn't get... He was furious. He's furious to this day. But everybody... all those Spurs players, finished like 11 or something yeah, like that. Spurs, yeah, were, Spurs were no good. Yeah. It's really that simple. They were not a good side. But Ginola was unplayable. And when I think back, you know, in the last 20, 30 years in the top flight, there were sometimes you get someone, it's usually in that position, who is unplayable for one season, maybe, uh, when they're at their height. And I think of Thierry Henry, um, that gives me no great pleasure to say mm -hmm. it, but he, he, he reached that level. John Barnes, yeah. uh, I think about 1990, something like that. He won double football of the year. Yeah. Unplayable. Ginola was that, was that guy. He was Astonishing, and again, I had a season ticket. We just watched him. He was down there 
up and down that wing, making fools of fullbacks week after week after week. But he was just so big and strong. Like actually, like Barnes and Henry, he was also physically very hard to to shake. Like Gazza as well, because you always think Gazza. Yeah. Well, Gazza was a, was a very physically strong mm. player as well. Ginola was amazing, and I got I, I, I interviewed him. I made some films for the 125th anniversary of Tottenham Hotspur, and I went to Saint Tropez and interviewed him overlooking the bay, which is one of the more memorable experiences of my life. And then I saw him subsequently at Ledley King's testimonial. And at that point, Gareth Bale, it was when Gareth Bale, is he going to stay? Is he going to yeah. go? And I shared a cab with Ginola from the testimonial dinner to the nightclub where we we're all going in, in Mayfair. Him and me, his son and my cousin. And uh, I said to him, do you think Bale will go? And he said, I, I just don't know. I said, thing is, he's the best player we've had at this club since you. <laughs> he said, he looked at me and just nodded. He went, yes, but... Uh, He's playing in a in a good team, <laughs> and I said, like "Yeah, it. I said, yeah." I mean, you can argue with it. You know, it's basically yeah. saying, "Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely as good as he is," but you know, I I was doing it on my own. Yeah. It pretty much was because, yeah. and that, that you know, that tells you a lot about the '90s. Most Tottenham fans will tell you the '90s they see it as a terrible decade mm. because. We never up in the higher echelon. We barely ever qualified for Europe. You know, we were, and in one or two seasons, we looked like we might go down. Yeah, and um, it was only having people like Ginola and the player I'm about to reveal. That <laughs> trying to work us... out, Ed, have you got any clue? Have you trying to? Yeah. Have you worked out? Yeah, I've got it. Yeah, I think God. so. Yeah, go I on. Think then. Was, I think he was only there for one season, but I might be. What? Or then, was, oh, of course, yeah. yeah, obviously. Yeah, okay. it, did me, it did take me a minute because I yeah. might have say someone I... like Paolo Tremanzani or something <laughs> like that. Just no, no you value, definitely but... got it. It is Jurgen Klinsmann, and yes. there is. A lot of a lot of Spurs fans have been listening. Say, how can you choose Klinsman? You're joking. How can you choose Klinsman? He was only there one year, and then he came back and did his cameo. Yeah, uh, in the year we nearly went down. But I've chosen Klinsman because, as I say, that decade. I mean, we're not exactly sport for choice when you think of who I've already mentioned. But that decade was actually a very depressing decade for Tottenham. We were never really very far from mid-table mediocrity. Sometimes we dip below it. Sometimes we poked our heads up a little bit above it. But basically, it was about mid-table mediocrity. After all that promise of winning the cup in '91, mm. it all, uh, you know, it was just awful. And the only thing that kept us interested was these great players. And when Klinsman signed, that was a moment. Just the moment of him signing was one of the greatest. I mean, I've told this story before, but I was driving along on the Bayswater Road in a traffic jam. The sun was beating down. We'd, I'd been to World Cup 94, and he was one of the great stars yeah. of World Cup 94. And it came on the radio that Spurs were signing Jürgen Klinsmann. I was sitting there with my girlfriend. We're both we're quite irritable. We've been in this traffic jam for ages. Jürgen Klinsmann, he comes on the radio, Klinsmann's signing for Tottenham. I practically, not quite, but I more or less burst into tears. I, mean, I, was, <laughs> I was close to it. She could tell yeah. I was emotionally overcome. And my yeah. girlfriend, she hated football. And one of the things she hated about it, and fair play to her, the absurdity of how seriously I took it and how, yeah. how, what an effect it had on me. So we've I'm sitting there. there. So yeah, yeah, we've all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my wife will say I'm, the same now. I'm, yeah. I'm trying not to cry. And she's, she's just absolutely appalled. She's thinking, oh, what fresh lunacy is this? Who is this clean, clean head or whatever? Is, <laughs> is he going to, he's not going to make things worse. And he duly did because I was, I was just so staggered that we'd got one of literally one of the best handful of players in the world was signing for Spurs. And we were, yeah. we'd been rubbish, you know, I went to his uh, debut was or on, on, I think he debuted in a, on a preseason tour of Ireland, actually. Imagine going on a preseason tour of Ireland now. Where's the money in that? Yeah. Um, 
But the first game he played for Spurs in England was at Watford away. It was a friendly. And we, me and my mate Kev, who I still sit with at Tottenham, we went with his wife, who was about eight months pregnant, thinking, oh, it's only Watford. We'll just go along, walk in, it'll be fine. It was absolutely ram. Like all, every, the whole of Tottenham was there. It was absolutely chocker. And people wanting to see Klinsman in a Spurs shirt. And then, you know, I just started going home and away. I've never, I've never done a full home. I've never been a home and away type. You know, I've obviously, yeah. I've always gone to away games, but not all of them. But I just couldn't stop going because of him. I mean, obviously, yeah. Dumitrescu came as well. And, uh, you know, the famous five, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, you know, we had Dumitrescu, Klinsman, Sheringham, uh, Anderton and Barnby, which was an incredible thing. But Some Klinsman was there, the yeah. star. And one of the other things about Klinsman, I mean, there were so many things about him, but I think he played a role in making Sheringham into the player he was. I think when the, when Sheringham first played with Klinsman, I think just, just at the very beginning, I think he felt a bit overawed. Because it's, remember, in those days, foreign superstars didn't play in the, in, in England. Yeah. Real superstars. They had a few starting to come in who were at the end of their careers sort of thing. But to get someone who's still at the peak of his powers, with a genuine world superstar, it's like a movie star turning up, you know. And I think Sheringham was just to begin with slightly overawed. And you could see in the way he played. But before long, they, they actually struck up a great partnership. And I think Klinsman convinced Sheringham uh, of his own abilities. I think Klinsman said to Sheringham, listen, it, I don't know if he said it in so many words, but he communicated somehow. If you think you're not good enough to play with me, I'm, I'm looking at you in training. I can tell you for certain you're good enough. You are at, at, on, on my level. Yeah. And together we can be brilliant. And I think Sheringham changed at that moment. And the player that he became, this sort of omnipotent, all-round excellent footballer, I think a lot of that was down to him uh, playing with Klinsman. They had an amazing game at Liverpool away in the FA Cup where they yeah. just nicked it at Anfield, yeah. which was, yeah. we never won at Anfield, ever, ever, ever. We still don't, you know. Yeah. And he, they, the two of them put Liverpool to the sword. And yet I was working in Italy. I was in a hotel room on my own, bouncing off the walls, going <laughs> mental as that, you know, as the winner went in. Yeah. I think, I think Klinsman was the, I always say the marker in the sand for the Premier League, though. I think before after yeah. before that, like you say, we got some signings. The foreigners were starting to trickle through. Sky yeah. were obviously making the game bigger and bigger and bolder. But what we needed was a was a Harlem Globetrotter. We needed the superstar. Yeah. And I remember the moment. I think I, I think I, I don't know if you remember, Ed. I remember getting the paper through the door and seeing that because like, this is days before social media. That's one of the yeah. things I hate about social media is that you know someone's going to sign before like weeks and days or whatever before he actually finally yeah. puts the dotted line and you see that you know holding the shirt or the scarf you don't have that luxury anymore you know because like you just pick up a paper and go hang on what or you heard it on the radio yeah thing. yeah, yeah. yeah do, you, do you remember that moment what, yourself uh, yeah i was interested what theo was what theo was saying there about being in the car with a girlfriend and sort of hearing it on the radio and it was almost like you know, did you ever question yourself and think, did I just mishear that? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They must think it's somebody else. Now, these days, you just get out your phone, yeah, obviously yeah. not while you're driving, no. and sort of you'd, 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 you'd flick through and go on Twitter or whatever. Right, okay, bloody hell, we've signed Kinsman. But you, you, 1994, you don't do that. Yeah, and yeah. He, was, he was definitely the first superstar. Now, to me, Cantona is a superstar, but he didn't come over here as a superstar. And he, he was, was almost, a, yeah, he became almost, a superstar. Yeah, yeah, it was almost like via the back door, you know, yeah, the bad yeah. boy of French football, whereas this was a World Cup winner from 1990, someone that had played a very active role in Germany's team in 94, had been in a Champions League semi-final for Monaco. Yeah, for Monaco, that yeah. Year, and he's signing for, you know, let's check that again, Tottenham, yeah. who 
with all great respect to Tottenham, it was a big surprise across Europe, I think, that yeah. he did choose Spurs. He obviously chose Spurs for various reasons. Uh, living in London was probably, was probably yeah, a, a, big a, ball, a good yeah. one. But, big um, one yeah. yeah, I mean, I was reading... Um, <laughs> I famously don't do much prep for this, but I did, I do, I did read um, earlier on that uh, Alan Sugar arranged it all sort of down in Monaco. Yeah, and on then, his yacht. And on his yacht. <laughs> And then called Sky up to say, get yourselves down here because I'm going to shake hands with Klinsman. So it almost had a double effect that if he signed Klinsman, then Sky got the, the scoop. And then if they didn't sign Klinsman, they had the, the, the video footage of Klinsman shaking hands on the deal and then obviously probably renegading on it. Mm. But it was just interesting in the fact that Sugar, Sugar had thought like that. But it was a massive, massive signing for Tottenham. Yeah. A fabulous player. Well, you don't get if you don't get Klinsman, you don't get Burkamp, you don't get Zola. No. You don't. You know, um, it's it's yeah. a completely like this goes on and on. Goes on and on and on. Yeah, don't get to, you, know, you could say you don't get Erling Haaland. Like yeah. that's that's yeah, where we got to. Yeah. Yeah, Erling exactly. Haaland is signing for you know is he is yeah. in not even in his prime. I mean, the man's a machine. It's ridiculous yeah. how good that yeah. kid is. Yeah. But that's to me, it's Klinsman um, yeah. where it started. Um, that switch to games, then um, Theo. There's a few yeah. Tottenham games we've we've we in the, we stick out in the memory for us yeah. in the 1990s. But um, we mentioned the 91 Cup final, obviously very eventful. We talked a lot about yeah. that last yeah. week, show. I remember it very vividly as such a eventful game. But I'm sure you're going to pinpoint something that's more close to your heart. Where what have you gone? For? Well, I the, I think I very 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 nearly chose uh, the FA Cup quarterfinal at Main Road in '93. Yeah. Now, that game I went to, me and my mate Andy Walker drove up there like you did in those. I remember I would have got the ticket. I would have just driven one day to White Hart Lane and bought two tickets in the ticket office. They would have torn them off the book and I stuck them in my pockets. I'd have phoned Andy, not on a mobile, (laughs) and said, uh, I've got two tickets for Man City. He got all right. So we got in the car, drove all the way to Manchester on the day, get there. It is still one of the best games i've ever been to for sheer incident and excitement spurs won the game 4-2 um naeem later to become even more of a legend he scores a hat trick (laughs) in the run-up to the game we're really upset because we think we're onto something here we're in the quarterfinals we can beat man city we think there are you know we've got their measure but the england bloody youth team claimed nick barmby who is one of our top top players claimed him and took him off to some bloody youth tournament or something because mm. he was very young, but he was very much a part of integral part of it. And that's the only reason Naeem played in the game. So we go up there and, and main road was a scary place in those days. It was a scary, scary place. So we had to, you have to really keep your wits about you. Um, they scored first city and we think, Oh, here we go. And then Naeem basically scores a hat trick, an incredible hat trick. Steve said, of all people, Scores a goal. I noticed when I was looking at back earlier that there were assists for Dean Austin and Justin Edinburgh, the much maligned Tottenham fullbacks. That was another curious. So that's very 90s there. Those yeah. Names. <laughs> uh, Terry Phelan scored a late goal for Man City. Then there is an, a massive pitch invasion. All the City crowd get on the pitch and they're running up to us in the away gate, giving it all this. Come on, come on, trying to get us to go on the pitch. And some of the Tottenham fans are trying to crawl over the stewards to get to the city. But of course, what they're trying to do is get it abandoned because they've essentially lost the game. Then they get all the crowd off the pitch. Spurs get a penalty to make it 5-2. Sheringham misses it. And to this day, everybody's convinced he missed it deliberately because he's thinking, if I score this, this place is going to go. 
Yeah. So he misses it. And eventually the whistle goes, we've won it 4-2. It had everything. My mate Andy Walker, some guy comes in after on about 75, 80 minutes, staggers into the away end. And he goes, bloody hell, I've been in the, I've been in the bloody nick. They nicked me last night. I've only just let me out. And Andy Walker, my mate, said, don't worry, mate, you haven't missed much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He missed the most amazing yeah. I actually laughed my head off. Yeah. And then I remember leaving there and just basically ducking and diving and just really, it was really dangerous of getting to the car and just putting your foot down and getting away. It was a great game. Uh, one of my most memorable away games ever. Uh, I mean, I went, uh, then the other games that I remember was obviously the final in 91 was a very yeah. emotional. I'm not one to cry over football, but I welled up then because what people forget is we, the club was saved. Mm. We were going bust and we had to win in order to get Sugar's money. Sugar was a businessman. And the feeling was that if we could win the cup, we'd get into Europe and the figures would make sense. So Sugar buys us. So that 91 was emotional. I remember a 4-1 win against Manchester United, which I'm pretty sure was on New Year's Day in 96. Yeah. Where you're on cloud nine at that point, United are in their pomp, and you, if you win that, you're, I mean, I was on cloud nine for so long after that. Of course, when um, I went and interviewed Cantona, uh, all the Man United people said, yeah, it was just a freak result. Everything Tottenham hit went in the, it went in the net. And I'm like, no. I, I feel for you, Theo, because KPR beat Man United 4-1. I'm going to mention it. Get your bingo yeah. cards ready. Yeah. 1992, New Year's Day. And they always claim that they were hung over. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, hang on, like, give, give us our credit. Like, like Dennis Bailey scored yeah. a hat trick, a name that no one will ever remember. But yeah, yeah. They, that is always thrown Dennis in. Dennis Bailey, yeah, he got a hat trick, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, he was amazing. But the goal, I, I cannot not choose the obvious choice, which is the semi final in 91 against yeah. uh, Arsenal. Because however much I think, yeah, it's too obvious, too obvious. That is the greatest football match I've ever attended, <laughs> without any question at all. Everything about that. I mean, you know that glow you get after a, a big win? I mean, I got it last week. Spurs beat Arsenal last week, 3-0. And I'm, I've still got the afterglow <laughs> of that now. But the afterglow from the 91 semi-final never goes away. Mm, it yeah. never goes away. You know, we were not supposed to win. Arsenal were unbeaten in the... They'd only lost two games all season that season. They were a supreme machine. They were quite... They didn't play very pretty football, but it didn't have work. And we were like typical Spurs. They were a typical old-fashioned Arsenal team. Grim. George Graham, results machine. And we were like a team that was completely mercurial. We had Gaza had just come back from injury. We had Lineker. And we basically, Gaza's free kick, winning it 3-1, Lineker's winner, going out the ground with the whole Spurs crowd singing, you've lost that double feeling. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were running away with the league. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything yeah. about that day, it cannot ever be beaten. I knew it on the day as I'm walking out, as I'm, I'm you know, the crowd slowly coming out of Wembley, singing all those songs. Where's your double gun? Where's your double? All of that. And for you, Theo, was it right it was at Wembley? Because we always moan on this podcast yeah, that the FA Cup semi-finals are now at Wembley. It's interesting you say that because I don't think FA Cup semi-finals should be at Wembley. I'm a traditionalist. But the yeah, only reason yeah. I think that it was all because of that that, that gave them the idea to put them all yeah, at Wembley. They should yeah. never have been at Wembley. The only reason that one was, they did have a justification for that one, which was that it was just the demand for tickets. Mm. I probably wouldn't have got to go if it was anywhere else in London. I mean, where would yeah. you put it? Stamford Bridge. That was an absolute. Yeah. I mean, that exactly. was an absolute. I mean, I'm trying to think of a polite word. For that. <laughs> like a it had site. a car park. Yeah. 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 It was all Maybe you could have played it at Twickenham, I suppose. But, yeah. yeah. So I think that particular one you could see an argument for. Unfortunately, what it meant was that we've had them there ever since, and I agree it's not right. But the pro right, the problem with that is, as well, is, is that you're right, is the fact that that game 
that game changed the FA Cup forever, mm-hmm. in theory, because as you rightly say, it then means that the FA have a very good reason to put future FA Cup semi-finals on at Wembley. Mm. It's a bit like, because it was such a success and such a great day and there's so many iconic FA Cup clips from from that game, it's like, well, you know, we've put an FA Cup semi-final at Wembley, it worked, let's do it again. It's a bit like, in my mind, the World Cup this year in Qatar. Now, I You're love worried, the World Cup. I love the World Cup, right? I am worried. I love the World Cup. I just have this real worry that it's going to be a kind of success in inverted commas and everyone's going to enjoy it. And then they'll start mucking about with it and putting it on at Christmas every year and, you know, and stuff. And it's just going to get a bit silly. And that's how I look at the 91 FA Cup semi-final. It just kind of stopped the neutral ground thing. I mean, it did go on for a few years afterwards, but it became, I mean, definitely in this century, it's become, it's become the norm. Yeah, it's normal now. Yeah, New new Wembley opened. It's normal that you get through the quarterfinals. you're You're at Wembley now, rightly or wrongly. But, um, yeah, so that game, I mean, that's a great, I mean, it's the obvious choice, but such a good choice. Such I also feel sorry for Lineker game. because when they, people talk about that game, they always, always, always show Gaza's free kick. Yeah. And yeah. it's obviously because it's one of those iconic moments. Yeah. It was Gaza. It was Gaza's that, that season, that cut run, as you mentioned. I always remember the game as it Oxford like in yeah. the early rounds that Gaza was, yeah. they, I, I don't like the word unplayable because I think it's overused, but I think that day, yeah. Gaza, I, I think it was on TV, he was, he was, and I get it, but like Lineker's goals, they were good goals as well, but they never yeah. show, they always yeah. say the Gaza free kick. Well, weirdly, it was the Lineker's second goal, the one that, you know, the, the one in the second half was the one that made me react. Because Gaza's free kick, I can remember every moment of that day, you know, Gaza's free kick was actually a stunner. You were yeah. just stunned. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those moments in a ground where for a split second, there's silence where everyone's like, what? What mm. happened? And then you go mad, but with, with Lineker's goal, I remember just losing control completely, <laughs> running down to the fences, still had the fences, I think, yeah. uh, and going, ah, like hyperventilating, <laughs> because that was the moment where you knew we could win. Yeah. We were 2 1 up, and they were, you know, they were pressing a bit, the, the Gooners, but yeah, that was the moment. So, yeah, right, you know, get Lineker. There's a great image of the two of them afterwards, with, you know, with their arms around each other, sort of dancing on the pitch. They were a great duo, actually, because they're so not, they're so unlike each yeah. other, but they really, were such yeah. mates. They were like brothers, you know, it was yeah. great. Yeah, we call them Trevor Sinclair moments in QPR. Those that split second where you think you've seen a goal that you like yeah. the overhead kick against Barnsley, yeah. which uh, yeah. yeah, again you're doing, you're doing well so far. So on my bingo in, card, yeah, you've got in New Year's Day, you've got in Trevor Sinclair. There's only one thing left. Top yeah. London Club, ninety two, ninety three. Top London Club, ninety two, ninety three. So that's it now, people. So full house, full house on your bingo cards, people. Great. Um, talking to Barnsley, I didn't mean to seg that way, but I will. We're yeah. talking goals now, Theo. And yes. Okay. You mentioned his name already. There is a certain goal that Mr. Ginola scored against Barnsley. Is that oh, in yeah. your shortlist or did it come into your thinking during your, picking your goal? No, actually. One of the things about Ginola, well, it was a great goal. But weirdly, for a player so special, he didn't score that many iconic goals. That's his best goal. That's the one people would always play. Mm. Um, but it didn't come into my... I mean, the Gascoigne's free kick and Lineker's clincher uh paul stewart's goal in the final in 91 because paul stewart was such an amazing his story is incredible and yeah. remains incredible because of what's what he's what, what he went through yeah in recent years and everything um there was an amazing goal by stephen carr against manchester united yes. in the rain yeah, long profit. range yeah. absolutely amazing but and and you know you tend to, to put naims against uh <laughs> arsenal for zaragoza in there as well yeah. But I've kept. I, I could have. To, I could have spoken about this this goal before because this game would have been in was in the reckoning for best game. 
And this player has already been very much rec- uh, mentioned. So it's the Klinsman goal against Sheffield Wednesday yeah. in his league debut. <laughs> yeah. So I've gone there with my dad. My dad. Uh, so the girlfriend I mentioned earlier, I've split up with her because the Klinsman thing, sure enough, has been the death knell. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Klinsman's more important. <laughs> We couldn't come back from that. It was never going to happen. <laughs> Meanwhile, my dad, who was a complicated character, but suffice to say, he split up from his second wife around about the same time, maybe a bit early. So the two of us are like bachelors. <laughs> and I say to him, look, and he's a football fan, he's a Tottenham fan. Uh, so I say to him, look, why don't we go to the first game of the season, Sheffield Wednesday, uh, and see Klinsman, you know, Klinsman and the famous five. He said, yeah, 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 great. Okay, so we went up there. And the two of us sitting together, and it was one of the most incredible. Certainly, as I say, would have been in the reckoning for best game. 4-3 Spurs winning the most unbelievable game. But, of course, the moment, the iconic moment, and why it's the best goal, is that Klinsman, who we're still trying to get to grips with the fact that Klinsman's turning out for Spurs in the league at Sheffield Wednesday. And he scores this absolutely majestic header, one of those ones where he springs. He had this incredible spring. Mm. He was an amazing athlete. He, was so, he had incredible balance, incredible spring, and an amazing leap and he, he springs like Zebedee and twists his, his upper body and his neck to just guide perfectly like a little bullet into the back of the net is. And we're just going mad. I can't even remember what the score was. I might've made it four two or something. I don't know, but we were like, we're going mad. And then he runs to the side. He's had all this stick from the English media and the press about him being a diver and all fans of other clubs. And he runs to the side and you can see him saying to the other players, he's beckoning them to join him. And he does the dive. The first time you've ever seen the diving celebration. celebration. Yeah. He dives on the turf, like with his arms outstretched and slides along. And basically in that moment, I mean, you're already euphoric. It's double euphoria because you're already euphoric because euphoric of the goal and because it's Klinsman who scored it and because it's such a beautiful goal. But to see him then do that and, and the sort of self-effacing humour of it, and the intelligence of the humour as well. You don't, you're just not used to seeing it. It's just said so much about him and the moment and everything. And you just, I mean, the two of me and me and the old fella, we just, we just couldn't believe it. It was just, it, 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 it was just the greatest moment. And that's why for me, it's the best goal of the whole decade. Even I've even picked it ahead of Gascoigne's free kick. Even made the, even made the dive look cool. Yeah, you know what I mean? like it made it look good. Like I reckon yeah. that. I reckon that if I'd scored a header like that, which I would never do because I'd probably break my neck. But if 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 I did, I don't think I'd probably fall on my ass to be honest. If I was doing a dive like that, but even made that look good. Yeah, such a good it, player. It was beautifully executed dive. Um, I, I have to say, sorry, just ask, just I was thinking of a Tottenham goal earlier on, and it just popped into my head, and it was an absolute beauty by Teddy Sheringham, who we've mentioned a few times, away at Coventry, which is like a little delicate chip. Over, I think it's Steve Grisovich. I think it would have been. It had to have been in the nineties. Uh, and uh, yeah, and it was it's an absolutely beautiful goal. And um, I'm a big. I was a big sort of Sheridan fan. You know, great, great player for England. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's an amazing goal. But uh, yeah, Klinsman, that's a great shout. I do. I do like that one. I think that also endeared him to the neutrals as well, yeah. didn't it? Like, Absolutely. I, I think, as we mentioned, Tottenham being a bit of a neutral team with Gazza and, and uh, Lineker in early. But I think Klinsman did that as well because we yeah. everyone just wanted to watch this, uh, probably apart from Arsenal fans, but wanted to watch this amazing world-class player. And then to have the, he had the humility to actually take the mickey out of himself as exactly. well. He scored a scissor kick against Everton as well. It's the one I always Yeah, that was in the, I think that was the next game. Yeah. I think that was the just... next game. It was a midweek game, yeah. 
That's the kids right. call it techers these days, but that yeah. is exactly what that was like. Yeah. Pure technique, yeah. like and and those sort of things. You were just like, we had great players, and Mark Hughes was somebody I always think could volleyball like no one yeah. else. Less yeah. said of him, the manager, the better. But we hadn't seen that kind of technique really in in yeah. the t- English top flight since. And it was just oh yeah, Klinsman is it's a great choice. Steph is such such a great choice. Um, yeah. Last category before we squeeze in an eleven. Um, yeah. This is where Ed rolls his eyes because I get all giddy over Kit. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm a big Kit geek. Um, yeah. it's, it's one of my things. Um, I'm going to get it because I do it every episode. <laughs> this is my greatest kit of all time. USA 94, the greatest kit of all time. Yeah, nice, yeah. Um, but we're talking Tottenham kits, not USA 94. Uh, there's another one for your bingo cards. Um, loads of lovely kits. Loads of different makes. The hilariously pony years, yeah. obviously, at yeah. Tottenham. That yeah, it said it all. It said yeah. it all, but... If you had to pick one, Theo, what, what is the best Tottenham kit for you? Well, controversially, I again, I don't think the 90s was the best kit decade for Spurs. I, I think I, my favourite Spurs kit is the one before there were any logos or anything, which was the, yeah. the one that I got when I was a kid, which is just a long sleeve white cotton T-shirt with a blue <laughs> navy blue number on the back and a navy blue cockerel on a football on the front. That's, That's all I need. And I, think, <laughs> and I think, yeah, I love that. But then since then, I think we've had great kits uh, in, the new, in the new millennium. In the 90s, I look at them and I think, I didn't really love any of them, if I'm honest. I mean, uh, the pony ones were okay, but then we had Hewlett Packard on the front. Of yeah, them. you did. Well, yeah. If you're a Tottenham fan, you're, you are emotionally attached to Holston. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So I'm choosing a Holston one and I'm going to go with the one that we won the cup with in 91. Because it was actually a story in itself, because I don't think I'm not sure if this had ever been done before. But what they did was they won the semi-final in the old Hummel kit. And Hummel was the business that almost brought the whole club down because Hummel was a was a subsidiary or a sister company of Tottenham Hotspur where they made up their scholar, the, the chairman in the 80s, thought, why don't we just make our own kit? Mm. But, you know, they make all this. So Hummel was a, was associated as a business with Tottenham. And they had all these Hummel kits, some of which were better than others. So they won the semi-final in a Hummel kit. And then they came out in the final in a whole new kit. They did a deal with Umbro, anything to get the money in because they were in such trouble. And the kit was revolutionary because it had these long baggy shorts. Massive shorts. It had all those shorts with the same short length throughout the 70s and 80s. Uh, and here we were in the 90s, and some of these shorts were very long and baggy. It was Umbro, which is one of the great sort of iconic brands of British kits. Um and of course, we won the cup, and it was an okay kit. I quite liked it. I had a collar. I quite like a collar. Yeah, I like a collar. And I can picture all the players in it. Uh, so I've chosen that one because of Holson, because it was new, because of the story of them cheekily having a new kit, even though it wasn't a new season. They were doing it. It's purely a, a sort of cynical commercial move, yeah. really. I, it's funny you should mention that there because I actually, we were talking about it last week, weren't we? Ed? Like, yeah. Like I didn't know that story, so I'll, I'll preface by saying that. But as a kid, it annoyed me because like. I'm such a kit geek that I think every season should be defined by the kits yeah. that you, that were out that season. And yeah. I didn't like the fact that you'd gone the whole season wearing the Hummel kits. And yeah. then when you'd won the cup, you, you were in your new kits. And, yeah. and as much as I love seeing new kits, and again, social media's re- ruined that. I used to get them seen in match and shoot. And you'd be like, oh my God, new kit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that it, made, it made me smile as you mentioned that because we, we I was moaning about that last week, wasn't I, Ed? You certainly, you certainly were. Yes, you've had a, yeah. you've had a, you've had a double rent on that one. Yeah, uh, no, slightly. I, I get more of the story behind it now. I didn't yeah. realise the Hummel. Yeah. No, I didn't. I, yeah. You caught me by surprise there. I didn't realise that Hummel um, yeah. was associated with Tottenham because I seem to recall Hummel being 
Danish football. Yeah, it was yeah, Scandinavian, but I think yeah. well, I think Scholar bought them basically, took ah, them over. Okay, right. Yeah, it was sense. a disaster. Yeah. They, they, you know, yeah. they weren't in there. You know, it's a classic thing where where a business buys another business, but it's a totally different industry, and they don't know anything yeah. about it. Mm. So they're very in quick theory, to it's muck a good idea. Up. Yeah. Well, regularly, yeah. like clubs have done that now since. I mean, bringing it back to QPR as always, we had Clubhouse <laughs> in the early nineties, which were basically in-house. We didn't have a kit supplier, right? Until um, View um, took over in the mid 90s but we just had clubhouse which was just made by our own it must have been some sports brand down there. i don't even know who made it but it was club owned and i think clubs have done that um over the years and it's it's you get to do whatever you want with the you know you're not sort of handcuffed by a sports brand so i, I can understand the the theory behind yeah. it uh, yeah if you it, I, when i think of tottenham kits there in the 90s there's always two that stand out for me one is very rarely worn it was I think 92, 93, they were away at Newcastle and it was like a blue. Oh, it had yeah. spurs written yeah. like oh, yeah. almost in like a barcode. Yeah, look. yeah, yeah. Love I that kit. Li- I never liked that. I didn't it's just like unique. Sort of it's very like... like you've totally never unique, yeah. yeah. It's a great collector's item. Yeah. yeah. And then the other one, and I, ha- I had this randomly. I think one of my grandparents or aunties or uncles got a bit confused. It was more like, oh, he likes football rather yeah. than I'm yeah. a QPR fan. So they bought me a Tottenham shirt and there is pictures of me that exist wearing a it was a yellow right. Tottenham kit with the weird flecky stuff yeah yeah again shoulder again I've not known, for you, me, that I've known you for 20 years and you've only just revealed I don't like revealing that fact but there is pictures I've, of me and the in cat's a out the bag now um let's get your 11 out the bag Fio. let's finish okay. off with an, okay an, I think now, we could kind of guess from what from the past sort of 40 minutes I've kind of been placing yeah. players yeah, in positions I don't know whether you I, I, you know, I don't know whether you expect teams to be balanced or not. <laughs> but I, I'm we expect them to be four-four-two. Is the manager Aussie Ardila? Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say yeah. you can accuse me of not having balance in this team, but I would say Exhibit A: Aussie Ardila's team, which played a four-one-five formation, and the yeah. one wasn't even a midfielder; it was a centre-half playing midfielder, Colin Calderwood, until oh. they bought until they got Popescu. So. I'm playing, it's it's sort of for, I, I think you could maybe, yeah, you could probably call it a 4-4-2 four, four, if, you, if, you, if the midfield's a diamond. Okay, yeah, that's that. it. Classic Terry Venables okay. 90s and diamond. Also, the, other, the only other preliminary note I'm going to give you is that you'll see from this team that the, the front six is absolutely world-class and the back <laughs> four just isn't. And that tells you a lot <laughs> that's about Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> yeah. So in goal, I'm thinking, bloody hell, we're struggling here straight away in the goalkeepers. There's no goalkeeper in that decade that's as good as, say, Clements or mm. um, Jennings, obviously, or Larice. They haven't got any goalkeepers that good. So I'm going to go with Torsved, who was a cult hero. Yeah, uh, the Viking. Uh, the- Eric the Viking. Everybody loved him. I love Eric the Viking. Eric the Viking loves me as a child. <laughs> and of course, he played in 91. We loved him, even though, as I say, he's not in the same class as those goalkeepers I just mentioned. Then you're looking at a back four. You've got to go, I think, at right back with uh, Stephen Carr, who yeah. was, he was one of those, again, in that decade, certainly defensively, we struggled sometimes to have players who were who would have got in the top teams. But I think Carr at his best could have got in the top teams and eventually he ended up going to Newcastle just as they started to decline which was a shame for him but he was a great player and he scored that great goal I mentioned earlier left back it's a sentimental choice but 
it's justified because he played almost the entire decade and played in that League Cup triumph and played a pivotal role in a funny sort of way in the League Cup triumph at the end of the decade. And that's Justin Edinburgh, who died, sadly, a couple of years ago, very suddenly. I met him once and he was a lovely bloke, a really lovely bloke. And you can tell that by the outpouring of grief that came after he died. So many people devastated. I I actually met him myself, Theo, as a kid. Um, I was at a... They called them soccer schools as kids, yeah, which yeah. Uh, used to annoy me because it was basically football camp is what it should be called, not yeah, soccer. Yeah, but yeah. Um, Justin Edinburgh came along at the end of the week to like hand out the trophies and the prizes and stuff. And he stayed for hours and he answered questions. He took yeah. And he was still, you know, you know, we're talking nearly 30 years, probably more than 30 years ago now. He was still a young guy himself. Yeah, but yeah. He, he, you know, it was almost like he wasn't doing it out of sort of um, duty. He, he felt like uh, he was doing it because he really wanted to, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And um, he was just such a nice guy. And let's just always remember that. So really sad when I heard the news come through a couple of years ago about him passing away. Yeah, We got and Nicky was... Johns at our soccer school. That wasn't quite as good. Yeah, I'm, I think I went to that one as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Continue, Theo. Okay, so the next player is the guy who introduced me to it. I used to make a, a show in the early days of mobile phones being able to take video, which seemed like the most bizarre <laughs> thing. What You watch video on your phone. What? Uh, I was employed to make a, a what was essentially a TV show, but made specially for mobile. In those days, people thought, yeah, well, people will make mobile fo- shows like they make TV shows. Never never dreaming that you'd probably watch the same thing on your yeah. mobile that you watched on the TV. <laughs> Uh, it was called soccer addict. Another the dread word soccer. Yeah. Never, not my idea. I don't like that word either. And Neil Ruddock was the presenter. We used to do it every God. eight eight. Of anyway, he, was. He, brought, he brought Justin Edinburgh along with him one day, and Edinburgh was great. He just fancied coming along, and he just was so nice, so humble, just very interested in what we were doing. Ruddock was great to work with. I loved him. Except that I insisted on doing this show at eight o'clock shooting at eight o'clock in the morning at this studio in the east end every monday because i wanted it to be fresh from the weekend's mm. actions to keep it completely current and relevant and of course raddock can you imagine trying to get him somewhere at eight <laughs> o'clock at least one in every three shows it just wouldn't show and he'd phone up about we'd all be sitting there he'd phone up about 9 30 say theo it's razor here uh, listen uh it's all right if we'll do it tomorrow i'd say <laughs> Razor, I've told you a million times. Not the point, yeah. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, he was. I loved him. And he's in the team because, again, because he became uh, a massive personality, still a bit of a celebrity, huge. When I say massive, I mean in every sense, of course. Yeah, huge man, yeah. People forget what an incredibly good footballer he was. Yeah. He was an absolutely superb footballer. He was called Razor. People used to think he's called Razor because he was, like, very intimidating, like he was a gangster. You'd call a gangster uh, Razor, like, because of a razor, you know, like a knife. But he was called Razor, according to him anyway, because he, he rec- they reckon he could cut open a can of beans with his left foot because he, was, he had such a good left foot. I don't know if that's true. But he did have a... He, he, did probably, have a, he probably he did a, in that Millwall team, in fairness. Yeah, but he was uh, ferocious, obviously, fearless, yeah. massive personality. But of course, as I say, all of those other aspects, of him, they, they hid the fact that he was an absolutely excellent defender and an excellent footballer, a really, really good footballer. Mm-hmm. And I put him alongside um, Gary Mabbott. Yeah. So that won't surprise anyone because I've already said he was in the running for player of the decade and a brilliant footballer. That's how he's got in the team for by being very, very good. Now, I should probably mention, I wasn't going to, I should probably mention that for sheer technical ability as a centre-half, a certain Sol Campbell might have had a shout. Yeah. <laughs> you must be joking. No way. <laughs> okay, now we go to the midfield. I will not mention the rumours of him being the next QPR manager either because I might well, shudder yeah, I mean, on this show. Strong, strong rumours. I know. Be afraid. 
I'm, I am. I am, Theo. <laughs> okay, here's the here's the unfeasibly attacking front six. So uh, you've said four. I actually had it four three two, but you've insisted on a four three two. <laughs> so this is how I'm going to work it. I've got two wide players. Well, Ginola obviously is in. Yeah, he's going to play. He's right footed, but he's going to play on the left because that's what he liked to do. He had to cut in and, uh, well, I mean, he's two-footed, obviously, yeah. but, I mean, he used to like to cut in and have a shot, which he used to do about 17 or 18 times per game. <laughs> beat a couple of players, come in and have a shot have from a did, 25 yeah. yards, yeah. But what a player, I mean, you can't not pick him, obviously. And on the other flank, Anderton. Yeah. Another player who was actually underappreciated. I mean, he was totally. so te- technically brilliant. They called him sick, though, but actually, do you know what? He's played more Premier League games than anyone, apart from, I think he was second. I can't remember who was second too. He's either first or second in the Premier League appearances uh, up until a couple of years ago. Mm. He may have been overtaken now. So he played a lot of games, even though he's injured a lot. And in fact, if you talk to him, because we've had him on the Spurs show. We've yeah, had him he's been on the show. Yeah. Yeah, he's Hopefully great. Both, and, yeah. and he actually received, because in those days, the medical care that you got was poor. Mm. I mean, I don't. It was probably poor at all clubs. It's certainly poor at Tottenham. And he said a lot of his problems when Klinsmann turned up. Klinsmann sent him off to his specialist in Germany. He said, "You're not getting the treatment here. This is crazy. You've got to see someone who knows what they're doing." And he sent him off to Germany to get better treatment. So Anderton got a lot of stick for being injured a lot, but he was a fabulous player and a good bloke as well. But that's that's not the reason he's in there. For, no way you couldn't pick him. Basically, mm. the midfield anchor, ball winner, <laughs> engine room, Paul Gascoigne. <laughs> the funny thing is he actually could do that had a hell of an engine was not scared of a tackle at yeah. all and um, so I don't mind that you stick him at the back of the midfield spraying it around and then every now and then beating three or four players and going into the box box to box sort of style and then I'm having as a sort of a number 10 at the top of the diamond Sheringham because yeah. as we said he's a playmaker he could do it all he had incredible vision so he'd be great there in the hole Picking out the two strikers who we've already mentioned, Klinsman, one of the greats, one of the all-time greats, and Lineker, the fox in the box. <laughs> I mean, imagine wow. the goals in that team. And yeah, don't fancy the both ends. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a hell of a, it's a team you wouldn't mind seeing, and certainly a team that Ozzy Ardiles would have picked. Yeah, that is a uh, definitely uh, the entertainment. Very, yeah. very good side. Yeah, that is a very entertaining side. Yeah. So there it is. That is, I was looking at some players that are also that, in you know, some of the 90s names that you could have had that made me laugh earlier. And you got the likes of, we haven't mentioned, we'll quickly say things like Jose Dominguez and Vinny yeah. Samways. Yeah. Those kind of yeah. Tottenham stalwarts that kind of, they were just always around in the 90s at yeah. White Hart Lane. So. I'm, I'm surprised Rory Allen didn't get Rory that. Allen, <laughs> yeah. In the, yeah. Um, in the well, proceedings. But, well, yeah. Alan Pardew, who famously played, played for, was it into Toto Cup, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always think is a is a very random a very random memory from that one, but no, great team, definitely. That's a yeah, de- definitely a great okay, team. Wouldn't yeah. have Christian Gross. We haven't mentioned Christian Gross. Quickly before we go, I mean, that was a bizarre episode in Tottenham's history, yeah, wasn't it? It was a disaster. You know, I mean, poor old Sugar. I, I don't know why I say poor old Sugar. He was basically a man who didn't really fully. I don't know, how do you put it? It was a good businessman. He saved the club actually, and he you know passed it on to better owners, arguably. So he did a lot of good things, I think, Sugar, but he, he was sometimes he's groping around in the dark. And I think he got gross because Arsenal had got uh, Wenger. Yeah, yeah, that was the idea, wasn't he thought, it? Yeah. I want a, I'm going to yeah. get one of those, a very sophisticated <laughs> European coach. And as it happened at that moment where he was looking, the one whose star was in the ascendancy was uh, was Christian Gross. And that's that's it's always timing. It's like politics. Yeah. You know, those big jobs get filled 
at the moment. And and sometimes we did it later on when we got old uh, one day Ramos. He looked yeah. like the best manager in Europe. And Jack Sotini as well. That was another Santini, punk, yeah. yeah, another one. So it can happen. Uh, Gross was a total disaster. And if you speak to Gary Mabbott, for example, about Gross, it, it really was absolutely, you know, not at all liked or rated by the players. Mm. Uh, he was a hopeless man manager and he nearly got us relegated, basically. Sugar appointed some really strange managers across no, that. Apart campaign. from Jerry Francis, but yeah. Apart from yeah. Jerry Francis. <laughs> he, was, he was probably the one, from memory, I think he was probably the one success. Well, he was a sensible like, option. He was a manager like, on the up, you know. Yeah, yeah. George, well, but that's George the Graham, thing about... Sort of, George Graham was almost like in spite. That's yeah. the way I always looked at it. It was like, oh, we're going to have this former Arsenal manager. Mm. I thought, thought that was a bit odd. Managerial appointments are always a roll of a dice, aren't they? Absolutely. Actually, look at his appointment. So he's he's got Venables, and then Venables takes a back seat, but Venables is running the football. He falls out with Venables. He thinks, what am I going to do? The fans hate me. They're coming to my mansion and throwing eggs at the gates and warping uh, the walls. I need to give them something. So he gets Ardiles. Perfectly reasonable. Of course, yeah. we're all absolutely Hero. happy yeah. with Ardiles. He'd done, he had a reasonable managerial CV at that point, you know doesn't doesn't work out so mm. then and run, and the reason it doesn't work out he plays two attacking so then he goes for francis francis was yeah the most coveted young yeah. manager in the Engl- league with england job at the time yeah. absolutely he looked like an extremely good bet also he was uh, he was the antidote to ardiles's insane gung-ho football it never worked out his football yeah. it was it was quite boring and then eventually the, the results went wrong so you get rid of him then he thinks i want that i want a vengo it's working mm. out for arsenal so he goes gross you can understand then gross is rubbish so then he goes for george now george graham at that point had not failed he mm. had only ever been a winner he'd, he'd done incredible things at arsenal only lost his job because of the bung the old brown envelopes yep. he goes to leeds he's turned leeds around he's, he's made leeds a really a proposition again so you can see why he's done it you know, it was probably at the time no one gettable who would on paper be better. Doesn't yeah. work out. Then he gets Hoddle, who's doing great things at Southampton, having been unfortunate with the England job. Doesn't work out. You know, actually, it wasn't him who hired Hoddle. It was Levy, to be fair. But that, I could go on and on. Yeah, Man- yeah. Managerial appointments look good on paper at the time, but they're always a roll of the dice. I always, th- I always think of Christian Grace as the panda pop out Arsene Wenger. That's what I always think of him like. He was the cheap kind yes. of diluted exactly. version of Absolutely. no offense to anyone who likes panda pops um yeah. theo if people want to get involved in your podcast i know you've got a twitter feed where can they find it and, and get involved so we're on twitter as at life goals td i'm on twitter as at theo delaney the life uh, the podcast is called life goals with theo delaney and uh yeah uh yeah i implore it. you to check it out people um and ed if people want to drink in your tavern where do people find you on twitter and tweet okay. you about your naughtiness okay. normally so uh, people can find us at Tavern Football. Uh, obviously, the concept was created during lockdown uh, to create the illusion of a pub so that you could have a pint and talk about football. But we've just sort of kept it going. But um, congratulations to Elton Wellsby yesterday, <laughs> who thought that we were a real pub and was asking people um, where it was in the country. So I had to explain to him, unfortunately. Um, which, which actually, if you read it, if you read the bio, it does kind of look like it it's a place pub, yeah one day I don't, I don't know one day yeah you never yeah. know one, one day i don't blame Elton. yeah no well, we've had Elton on the show he's a lovely man <laughs> yeah. but yeah i yeah. can see where he got the confusion um follow the show of course live kicking at ak 90s on twitter uh, and we'll be back soon we're talking more 90ness uh we might get into the promotion race as we get towards the end of the season in 2022 we'll look at the 90s playoffs possibly loads more to come we're still on the search of robert rosario don't worry we haven't forgot about that challenge um i think christopher ray was added to that last week as well so we need to find him and get him on the show as well um so any obscure 90 footballers you want us to find we'll try but um you know that's the list is growing 
growing. Um, but I've been Ash Rose. This has been Alive and Kicking. Until next time, keep it 90s. Love.